I think that many people presuppose that if you are a Christian, that if there's one thing that you know how to do, it's pray. You may not have been asked to give someone a Bible study. You may not have been asked uh, to, to baptize someone. But the chances are you've been asked in your time as a Christian to pray for someone. It is, at least to those that are not perhaps in our midst, a given that if you're a Christian, you know how to pray. The disciples were what you and I would at least call today Christians. But it seemed as though they confessed themselves that praying was not something that they'd done all too well. We see this in the book of Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, that the disciples come to Jesus and they ask Him, Master, teach us how to pray. If you would, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we have the famed Lord's Prayer. And it's here as well as Luke 11 that Jesus answers their question, that Jesus teaches them, in fact, how to pray. They've come to the right man, amen? They've come to the right person. If you wanted to know how to preach a sermon, Jesus is your guy. If you wanted to know how to teach on the Bible, then Jesus is your guy. And so if you want to know really how to pray, how to speak to the Father, then Jesus is your guy. And so I really do want this evening to look at the privilege that we have. The true privilege of prayer. Let's have a word of prayer just now. Father in heaven, Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, but also that you would speak to me. Speak to all of us gathered here this evening. I pray, Lord, that at the end of this message, we would be willing to enter into a conversation, a real and genuine conversation with you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives some tips. Look at verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. In other words, there's a wrong way to pray. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, enter into your closet or your private quarters, and when you have shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And then he goes on to say, But when you pray, do not use vain repetitions, as the heathen do. In other words, don't just keep repeating the same thing over and over and over again in a mantra type way. And then he explains why. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. In other words, he's saying that in his time, don't miss this now, that there was a religious group of people that believed that the reason that God was hearing their prayers was because of the words that were coming out of their mouth. Jesus is saying that this is not why those prayers are heard. And then 
he begins to teach. Verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven. I want you to notice something that I think is quite important. Jesus doesn't spend, when he's instructing the disciples on how to pray, does not spend an inkling of time teaching them the forms that they must take. Now, various religions right across the world believe that it is possible to communicate with their deities. And there are things that you can do to help that process. Jesus says, although there might be nothing wrong with clasping your hands, there may be nothing wrong with closing your eyes and going on your knees, or as they might have done in the time of Christ, literally lying prostrate on the floor, that it's not about the form. Listen to me. The reason why God hears our prayer is not because our eyes are closed. It's not because we've clasped our hands. It's not because we're kneeling down. Now, do those things show signs of reverence? Do they show that perhaps we are being serious, we are taking this privilege, um, or we're not taking this privilege lightly? Absolutely. But Jesus says, this is not why your prayers are being heard. He spends absolutely no time talking about the forms. And that speaks to me, because I'll be honest with you all, there are times where I don't feel like praying. There are times when I get to the end of the day and I'm tired. And the only thing that my brain wants to do is just shut down and go to that place that I love so, mo so much called unconsciousness. The reason, the reason why I, I don't sometimes pray, listen to me now, is not because I don't want to kneel down. It's not because I'm like, I really can't be bothered to close my eyes because inevitably that's what I'm going to end up doing either way. It's not because I simply don't want to clasp my hand. The forms are not what keeps us from praying. Would you agree? Jesus says there's something deeper. When it comes to prayer, there's something deeper. And you can imagine that the disciples, seeing the power of Christ, seeing the miracles that He's done throughout the time that they followed Him, they recognize that He has a connection with God that they long for. They see something different in the way that Jesus prays compared to the way that they, that they pray. And so they say, teach us, Master. Teach us how to pray. And you can imagine that they're there waiting on a bated breath, just, just, just listening out for the first thing that comes from the mouth of Christ, their Messiah, their leader. And so he says, okay, here, pay attention now, pay attention. I'm going to teach you just how to pray. Are you ready? Our Father. The very first thing that comes out of the mouth of Christ is simply this. The most important thing that you and I need to recognize about prayer is not so much the words that are coming out of our mouth, but who in fact we're speaking to. Our Father, which art in heaven. And I often wondered, why did Jesus start like this? People sometimes think that there's ways that you should start prayer. You might have heard this, you know, you, you, you start with, with praise, or you start with supplication, or you start with all of these various things, different ways to start prayer. Jesus says that He starts prayer by recognizing the one to whom He's speaking to, our Father. Now, what do you think that Jesus wants you to know about the Father? In Psalm chapter 103, it says in the 13th verse, 
Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those that fear him. I'll say it again, Psalms 103.13. Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those that fear him. How many of you here this evening are parents? And don't be ashamed if you're a parent, that's fine. How many of you are parents? Some of you are like, kind of... Okay, parents, this one's for you. And if, you know, let's include everyone. Let's be inclusive, right? Um, if you're not a parent, just, just imagine for a second that you were. Can you do that? As long as you know you're on a suitable age, okay? You know, there's things that come first. Um, but, but I want you to imagine if you're not a parent, that you are a parent. And that you have just one child. How many children? One. Just one. And I want you to imagine that that one child is, is a boy, it's your son, and he reaches the age of 16, the age that society has now told him that he has become a man. <clears throat> kind of funny when you think about it. Um, I want you to imagine that he's 16 years old and he comes to you and he says, Mom, he says, Dad, listen, um, I'm going to leave home now. Interesting. Okay. Give me, give me, give me all that I'm due. Um, I'm going to leave. Anyone here ever left home before? Ever run away at least? I'm sure you've all at some point left home. At least most of you. Hey, Jesus didn't leave till he was 30. So, if, you know, if you're struggling along, hang in there. I'm sure the right opportunity will come along. Amen. I want you to imagine that he leaves home. And not only does he leave home, but he cuts off all forms of communication. He deletes his Facebook account. He leaves his mobile at home. He, he deletes his Instagram and his Twitter and all his social media. He discontinues his number and he's just gone. He's just gone. A whole day goes by and you get zero contact from him. Parents, how many of you miss your son? Just, just one at the back. Everyone else is like, it's only been a day, it's fine. It's fine, he's 16, he can take care of himself. Prospective parents, how many of you might miss your son? All right, let's say a week goes by. Now, parents, how many of you miss your son? Let's say one month goes by. Anyone still missing them? All right, let's step it up a notch. Someone's putting up two hands, like absolutely. Let's say one year. Ten years. Let me ask you a question. After 10 years, do you miss them more or less? Or, or how many of you parents are like, you know, it's been 10 years. What's my son's name again? <laughs> how many of you think after 10 years of no contact, you might have forgotten their name? Any parents here? Some parents have had six or seven children and they already forget the names and the children live in the house, right? 16 years, let's stop here, 16 years. How many of you parents, you still remember the smell of your son? That sweaty, athletic smell, right? That I'm too busy to shower smell. 16 years go by and you haven't heard a peep. 16 years is a long time. You know what can happen in 16 years? Think about it. From the age of 16 to 32, they've likely gone to college. They've likely already got their degree. 
They could either have already gone through further studies. It's not, it's not beyond someone at that age to have already completed their PhD or perhaps to, to work as a doctor in a great place like this. It's, it's not inconceivable that by the age of 32 that they're married now and that maybe they even have children. Maybe they've bought their first home. Maybe they have a really good job. In 16 years, you could literally have miss, messed out, missed out on, on some of the best years of their life. Would you agree? 16 years is a long time. And so I want you to imagine that it is 16 years later and you're there at home. And 16 years later, as you're sitting one night in the living room, you hear a knock. And you know that knock. You know how your family, you have secret knocks. Like if you do that knock, you don't, no one has to tell you to come in. You're just letting everyone know that you're, you're part of the group. You're coming in, right? You hear that knock. And you know that there's only one person that could possibly be at the other side of that door. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are starting to get a little bit nervous? Parents, your heart's starting to beat a little bit faster. And you're thinking to yourself, no way. No way can this be who I think it is. And you hear the same knock again. And your mind is telling you there's only one answer. It has to be them. It has to be them. So you get up and you walk towards the door. You stretch out your hand towards the doorknob and, and, and you're still unsure, you're, you're kind of excited, but you're kind of dreading what you might see on the other side. And so, and so you twist it and you pull it open slowly and you look out. And there he is. There's your son. 16 years have passed and there's your son. Except he doesn't look the same anymore. His hair has grown out long and it looks unkept. His beard looks like it's never been introduced to a comb. His clothes no longer fit him. The moment you open the door, this foul stench just grabs your nostrils. And he stands there, looking at you, right into your eyes. Parents, let me ask you a question. This one's only for the parents, because prospective parents, you might not have got this yet. But parents, what does your son have to say for you to let him back inside? She said it. Not a single word. You know at that moment when the door swings open and you see the one to whom your heart has been longing for, for, for their entire life, for 16 years. You see them standing on the other side of that door and though they have put you through the most pain, though they have kept you up for countless nights, Though you've prayed tears night after night after night, when you see them standing at your doorstep, parents, you know they don't have to say anything. They can just walk straight in. Because here's the thing. It's not about the words. At that moment in time, Although you may deserve a sorry, let's be honest. Sorry is not the first thing that comes to mind. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Anyone know? I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy that you're safe. I'm so happy that you're back. 
That I believe. I haven't, I haven't walked in these shoes yet. But that I believe would be the response of any parent. Come in. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities those that fear him. Some of us have stayed away from God. Some of us have stayed away from prayer. Some of us, it's been months, maybe years, since we've spoken to our Father. And we think sometimes, okay, maybe, maybe I should pray. I feel like now I should actually speak to God. But you know what comes to our minds? What would I say? Right? It's been so long. Even if it's, I just didn't pray yesterday, how do I explain to God that yesterday He just wasn't on my mind? Or if you've never, you've never spoken to Him before, how do you start that conversation? Jesus starts His prayer with our Father. For Jesus, the most important thing is who He's speaking to. Now, I had this problem after I'd just become a Christian, where I had a different picture of God the Father to the one I had of God the Son. I believe that God the Son, that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that He just wanted me to be forgiven. He just wanted me to be pardoned for my guilt to be taken away. But God the Father was there ready to just pounce on me, ready to just trample on me and say, Dean, you're a sinner and Dean, you've been wrong and, and you've wandered far away and, and, and you don't deserve this anymore. And so I invite you, if you brought your Bibles, to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're not sure where that is, you can find 1 Corinthians. And it's just one book after 1 Corinthians. You'll find 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And when you're in verse 19, just say Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 19. Listen to this. To wit... That God the Father was in God the Son. That God was in Christ, listen to this, reconciling the world to Himself. Not imputing their trespasses unto them and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. In other words, God the Father, for the whole of Christ's ministry, was using Jesus. Every time that we heard Jesus say something, it was the words of the Father speaking through Him. Every time that Christ bent down and, and healed the blind and the deaf, that was because that was the will of the Father. Christ did nothing of His own will. Everything that He did, it was because the Father wanted Him to do it. There was no compassion in Jesus that wasn't in the Father. But listen now, it says that the Father was in Christ. In other words, that God Himself, God the Father, was using God the Son to reconcile the world unto Himself. In every other false system of worship, it is down to the believer to work out a way to bring themselves back to God. 
And there are various things within all the other world religious systems that have to be done. For some people, it's a pilgrimage. For some people, it's an extra long fast. For some people, it's repeating the same things over and over again. Different systems, different rules within different religions. But Christianity is the only single religion in the entire world where the God who has been wronged and has committed no wrong chases after the one that's in the wrong. It says that God the Father was in God the Son trying to bring the world back to Himself as if He was the one that done something wrong. Now if I've, if I've wronged someone, the responsibility is mine to go to them and apologize. Would you agree? It's very easy to agree with that. It's very hard to do it though, right? If I'm the one that's wronged someone, it's my responsibility to go to them and apologize, to ask for their forgiveness, to rebuild this relationship. God is acting, listen to me now, God is acting as if He's the one that's done something wrong. He's committed no sin. He's made no mistake. But I think He knows us. I think He knows that we're so far gone that if He didn't chase after us, we might just wander away forever. And so He uses Jesus almost to chase us down. He's like, I'm not giving up on them. I don't care how far they've gone, I'm going to chase after them. I'm not giving up. The Father was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Isaiah chapter 53 is all about the Messiah. It's the chapter of the Bible, at least in the Old Testament, that it seems the Jews just cannot see. And it says in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, that all we like sheep, does anyone know? Have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I think right here really is the reason why you and I don't spend much time in prayer. Not because of the forms. Not because we don't know what to say or how to say it. Sin. Sin and the guilt that we carry around knowing full well that we've done something that we shouldn't have done often is what keeps us from falling on our knees and surrendering our lives to God because we think in our minds, how is it that if there is an all-good and all-loving God out there, that He could love someone like me? With all the things that I've done in my life, all the people that I've hurt, all the wrongs that I've committed, how is it that if there is a perfect God that He could still want to hear from me? Listen to what Jesus says, our Father. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities those that fear him. Doesn't matter how long you've been away, God wants to hear your voice. All of us like sheep, listen to this. I don't know how long you guys have been familiar with the gospel, but let me help you out. The gospel is the most unfair and illogical transaction that has ever taken place on this planet. It's completely unfair. 
All of us, Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, all of us have gone our own way. We've all made our own decisions to just walk away from God, to walk away from His protection, to walk away from His goodness, and to walk away from His, uh, from His love. But the Bible says that God has then taken our iniquities and laid them, not on us, but on Him. It's completely unfair. Jesus volunteered so that although you and I have gone astray, the punishment, if we would choose, falls on Him and not us. So what's keeping you from praying now? What's keeping you from praying now? Because the sin that you feel so guilty for has already been laid on the back of Jesus Christ. So you can't really say that that's the thing that's keeping you from speaking to God. Because that thing, has, however small or great it is, has already been taken care of. You don't have to carry it anymore, any longer. So what's keeping you from prayer? I like this analogy. When, when we allow our own sin and our own guilt from keeping us from speaking to the Lord, it's like this. How many of you enjoy shopping? Anyone? Ladies, come on. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. There's nothing wrong with liking shopping. It's okay. What about shoes? Shoe shopping. I know some guys here that like shoe shopping as well. Don't try and hide it. I know. Allowing sin to keep you from prayer is almost like walking into a shop seeing a beautiful pair of shoes and saying, I've just got to have those. And then taking them to the till, to the checkout, paying for them, going home, putting them on and being like, wow, check these out. And then you go out and you enjoy them and they're lovely and everyone is complimenting your shoes. And then you get home that night and you think these shoes are so amazing that I'm going to go back to the store that I just bought them from and I'm going to give them the money for them all over again. Nobody likes their shoes that much that they're willing to pay for the same one pair. You're not buying an extra pair for the same one pair twice. That is essentially the transaction that we are trying to engage in when we allow our sins and our guilt to keep us from prayer. We are essentially saying, I really like this, but someone's going to have to pay for it again. Even though the first purchase was all that was required for you to own that, it's as if you want someone to have to buy it for you again, even though it's already yours. The forgiveness and the pardon, listen to me, is already yours. He offers it to you free. It's a gift. It cost him money though. But it's a free gift for you. So how can we allow it to keep us from speaking to our Father? We're looking at how we can pray this evening. And the reality is that we haven't even said a word yet. Just our Father. I want to take you to a few more verses Let's look in John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is a powerful chapter of the Bible. John chapter 17. When you're there, say amen. John chapter 17. Now this is where Jesus prays for himself. 
This is where Jesus prays for his disciples. This is where Jesus prays for his church. But not just for those that were present at that time. Look with me, if you will, at verse 20. John 17, 20. Jesus says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Jesus says that this prayer that he's in the middle of praying is for everyone, regardless of which time they were born in, it is for everyone that chooses to believe on his word. If you have even a mustard seed of faith in Jesus Christ, then this prayer is for you. Now listen up. I remember exactly where I was when I read this chapter for the first time, or at least when John chapter 17, in the particular verse that I'm going to direct your attention to, gripped me. I was at home. Myself, Dawling, Nicole, and Renan, we were living in the same house. We had just got married. We, we shared the same house because we were broke and because London is expensive and because although man should not live by bread alone, man should live by bread. All right, it's a required requirement. But I remember I was in my room and I was sitting on my computer chair. I had one of those wheelie computer chairs. Made no sense because there was carpet in my room. Go figure. And I was reading John chapter 17 and then I stumbled on verse 23. Now don't read verse 23 yet. Lift your heads back up. Whoa. No, you guys are eager, but I'm not finished the preamble yet. Now when I read John chapter 17 verse 23, I don't know where I was in my... I said, don't read it yet. I don't know where I was, but I remember getting so excited that I'm pretty sure I flew off my chair. But our room was so small that I just hit my bed and then just kind of came back to my original position. <laughs> but if the bed wasn't there, John 17 would have done some serious damage to me. And I'm hoping that it does some serious damage to you too. So if you're sitting next to someone and it's appropriate, maybe you want to hold their hand. Maybe you want to hold onto the edge of your chair. This verse is going to blow your mind. John chapter 17 and verse 23. Listen to what Jesus is saying. I in them and you, Father, in me. Listen, that they may be made what? Perfect in one. Now listen, that the world may know that you have sent me. Jesus says that the world should know that you have sent me. Now listen to this last verse. If you're wearing a hat, hold on tight. It says, and that you have loved them as much as you have loved me. No, 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 no. This is not a amen verse. I refuse. I refuse. Think about this. I want you to put yourself in this situation. If you're anything like me, it takes a little bit of time to develop really strong relationships. Anyone out there? You don't just let anyone just walk into your life and suddenly they're your best friend and they're being invited to your 50th wedding anniversary, right? It takes time to build up those kind of relationships for people to enter into your really small circle if you have one. I want you to imagine this, that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have been in a relationship since Are you with me? We don't have a word for that. Eternity kind of comes close. They've been in a relationship since forever, since before forever. They have had 
forever to build on this relationship. To find new ways even if they can. To fall in love with one another even more given that it is their very character. I've known my wife for nine years. It's going to take a very long time. In fact, I think I could live for a thousand more years if it was possible before anyone even gets as close to me as she is. Jesus and the Father have been in a relationship since forever. And Jesus says, listen to me now, that God the Father loves you as much as He loves Jesus. No, 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 no. I'm going to give you a second. I'm going to give you a second. Do you know how much God the Father loves God the Son? If you're unsure, come on Sabbath. Come on Saturday. If you're unsure of just how much God the Father actually loves God the Son, be here, not here, but wherever we're going to be, be there Saturday morning. I believe it's at Chan Auditorium, the nice big cinema. Be there. If you really want to know just how much the Father loves the Son. Because how much the Father loves the Son, listen to me, is the same as He loves you. Now, I, I can't comprehend that. I don't even know why. But God the Father loves you as much as He loves Jesus. And if that doesn't give you something to be joyful about, if that doesn't give you some encouragement in your life, can you imagine if our young people, if our students here knew that? Can you imagine if the God that spoke this universe into existence, if they just knew that He loved them that much? You see, we think God is love, yeah, and He loves you so much, but He loves you as much as He loves Jesus Himself. Man, that's some love. And you know you've done nothing to deserve it, right? There's no way I could have made God fall in love with me that much. But He loves me as much as He loves Jesus. He loves you as much as He loves Jesus. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities those that fear him. We haven't even said anything yet, just our Father. We're looking at how to pray. I want to direct your mind to probably the most famous parable of all parables in Luke chapter 15. The parable of the prodigal son. I'm just going to paraphrase through it. If you're not sure or you're not familiar with the story, it's a very simple one. It's kind of like the one I introduced to you at the beginning. There's a young boy. He, is at least, he has at least one older brother, and he decides that it's time to leave home. He decides that he wants his inheritance, and then he's going to go to pastures new. He's going to see if he can find grass that is greener than what he's already laying in. And so he goes to his father and says, give me what I am due, and then he leaves home. But there's a famine in the land, and he spends all of his money on waste, and before he knows it, he's in the pig pen. And if you know anything about Judaism, the pig pen is the last place that you want to be. He finds himself in the pig pen, and it's there that the light bulb goes off, and he says, hold on a second. There's servants in my father's house 
who are treated better than the way that I'm being treated right now. So listen. He comes up with a plan there in the pig pen. And he says this, you can read it in Luke chapter 15. I'm going to return to my father. Listen to his plan. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. He says, I'm going to return to my father. And this is what I'm going to say. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Luke 15, 18, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. And I am no, worthy, no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as thy hired servant. He is essentially pre-planning his speech. He's not just going to go there and mumble his way through it. He says, I know exactly what I'm going to say. I'm going to show up before my dad. And I'm going to say, hey, dad, listen. I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. And I am not worthy to be called your son. Please, if you would just make me one of your servants. And so the Bible says that he goes on. It says, and as he arose, he came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him. He was, a, he was a long ways away, but his father saw him. What does that tell you about what his father might have been doing at that time? He was looking. And what an extreme coincidence it would be that if this father was just looking at this moment that he saw his son. Likely, the father had never really stopped looking since the son left. He's looking out, waiting, hoping that one day he's going to hear that same knock. And then he sees a a figure in the distance and he's like wait hold on hold on a second and he sees him approaching he sees his his figure more clearly defined and he knows that's his son the bible says that at that point the father begins to run oh come on reconciling the world unto himself the father begins to run towards his wayward son but listen to me now listen 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 the son has a plan. He's going to get there and he's going to say, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven and I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me one of thine hired servants. Look at what the Bible says. Verse 21. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and I am no, no longer worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, no, 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 no. Son, no, no, no. It's not, listen, it's not about what you have to say. The father cuts him off mid-speech. He's about to make his plea. He's about to pray to his father that he would be at least made one of his servants. But the father says, listen, listen, listen. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Servants, I've got some work for you. He says, go and bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. He was now found and they began to be merry. The father stopped the son mid-sentence. I don't need to hear what you have to say. What's most important right now as it would be to any father is that my son has returned. Sure, you can imagine that they had the conversation afterwards. Sure, you can imagine that the son explained to him all that had transpired in the time that he was gone. But at this time, when the father sees his son right outside his doorstep, listen, it's not about the words. My son that was lost is now found. No greater joy. There's joy in heaven, hello? Hello? There's joy in heaven when one sinner repents, when one sinner turns back to the Lord or turns even 
For the first time, there is joy in heaven. Shouldn't there be joy on earth? Turn with me forward a few chapters. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 in the first verse. Jesus spoke a parable unto them at this end. That men ought always to pray and not to faint. Jesus gives this parable to the people so that they would persist in prayer. And essentially, the parable went like this. There was a woman, and she was a widow. She'd lost her husband, and she had no way of fending for herself. And listen, there was an adversary. There was an enemy that was on her tail. And she had no one to turn to but the city's judge. Except we're only told two things about this judge. One, that he didn't care about anyone. And two, that he was an entirely irreligious man. He cared not about the Lord. Two characteristics. He doesn't care about people and he doesn't care about God. But here's the thing. The woman has nowhere else to turn. And so she goes to the judge anyways and she says, Judge, listen, there's an adversary. There's an enemy on my back. I need your help. Can you please get rid of him? And the judge looks at her and says, no. Leave me alone. And so she walks away. But then she comes back. Why does she come back? Because she's got nowhere else to go. And she says, Judge, there's an enemy and he's chasing after me. Please, you're the only one that can help. No. And so she leaves and she comes back. And so she leaves and comes back and leaves and comes back and leaves and comes back. And eventually the judge just says, Okay, woman, okay. All right, you win. I'll deal with the adversary. I'll get rid of him. And the Bible gives us the reason. It says, because the woman with her persistence wearied him. She tired him out because she would not stop. Because she kept coming and coming and coming. The unjust judge, the one that doesn't care about people and that didn't care about God, said, all right, I'll deal with your problem if you'll just leave me alone. Jesus gives this parable, this lesson, not to compare the unjust judge to our Father in heaven, but to contrast them. Because our Father in heaven does care about men. And He does care about religious things. But Jesus is saying this. He's saying even, listen now, even if God hated people, even if God the Father hated you, I believe that the reason why Jesus gives this parable is because sometimes we're actually tempted to think that he does. Sometimes we see God as unjust. Sometimes it at least comes to our mind if it doesn't flow out of our mouth before we can stop it, that God has acted unfair, that God has acted unjust. And of course, we don't say it in public because we don't want to be seen as heretical. But sometimes we think, God, why? Why? Why did that have to happen? Why did it have to be like that? And we don't understand the big picture. And we don't really understand the infinite wisdom and the plans of God. But this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that even if God hated your guts, He'd still answer your prayer. Even if He didn't care about you. Didn't know your name. Even if He didn't know the number of hairs on your head. Even if He didn't watch everything that you did. If He didn't make note of everything that ever happened to you. If He didn't commission angels to be at your side when even you were about to stub your toe. If God did not even think a single good thought towards you, Jesus said if you just persisted, then He'd answer your prayer. But here's the thing, God does love you. And He does care about you. 
And he has spent your entire life watching over you to try and get you to the point where he can save your soul for eternity. And so Jesus says, so how much quicker then? How much faster do you think God actually wants to answer your prayer? If God hated you, he'd still answer those prayers, but he loves you. He loves you. Did you hear what I said? God loves you. He loves his sons. He loves his daughters. And I think that this is true. That for many of us, God misses us. I think God misses us sometimes. Wouldn't you miss your child if they hadn't spoken to you for a while? If your children have grown up and left home, you'll know that there's nothing really that can make your day the same way as a phone call from your child. Hey mom, hey dad, just wanted to let you know that I was thinking of you. That I'm grateful for the way that you've raised me, that I'm thankful for how you've provided me throughout my life, provided for me. Nothing else really puts a smile on the face of a parent like that conversation does. I think God wants to speak to us. I think He misses us. I want to leave you with one final parable. It's in the book of Mark chapter 5. In fact, this isn't a parable, but it's a, it's a powerful lesson. Mark chapter 5. Just go back a book from Luke to Mark. Mark chapter 5. When you're there, just say amen so I know you're there. That was fast. Very fast. Mark chapter 5. Listen to this now. I preached on the context of this chapter last Saturday. It's online if you'd, if you'd like to catch it. But from Mark chapter 5, it says in verse 1, And they came over to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, Jesus, was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. What would we say that man has today? What term might we use? That he is possessed. There is a man that is possessed by a demon. In fact, when you read this in the other gospel accounts, it appears that there is in fact two men that are possessed by demons. Mark chooses to focus on one and it gives us some context as the kind of life that this demon-possessed man has lived. Look in verse 3 who had his dwelling among the tombs. He lived in the caves, and it says, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. So in other words, we know that they've tried. Verse 4, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Although they tried to tie him up, although they tried to chain him down, this man just kept on breaking breaking free. Look at verse 5. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying. Night and day. He is the worst possible roommate. Would you agree? <laughs> crying always, night and day. He's in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Then it says in verse 6, which if you don't really understand this, might just 
be the strangest thing you've ever read in your life. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. There's a man possessed to the point that he chooses to live in the mountains. That he cuts himself with stones each and every day. That he cries aloud day and night. And when he catches a glimpse of Jesus, he runs towards him. But look at what comes out of his mouth. And cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee, I beg thee by God that you do not torment me. Now the first time I read this, I said, well, this isn't a very smart demon, is it? I don't know about you guys, but when I was young, that was a joke, I'm still young. But when I was younger, I used to get myself in a lot of trouble. I had a big mouth. In that sense, not much has changed. But I didn't have very much control over the things that came out of my mouth. And I oftentimes got myself in trouble, knowing full well that I would end up in trouble. I just couldn't resist the smart comment that came to mind. Now the worst part about this is that it was always at someone that was bigger than me. Always someone that was stronger than me. Always someone that I knew if they really wanted to, they could grab my head in one hand and my feet in the other and split me in half. But I just couldn't resist. And I would say something absolutely ridiculous and then I'd get a look. And I knew what that look meant. I knew that that look meant I can't do anything right now because we're in class and there's teachers around, but we're not always going to be in class. And so I would make sure that as soon as the bell rang, that I found myself out of that classroom as quick as possible. And if I was walking down the corridor and I saw that person that I had just annoyed, if we met eyes, guess which way I'm not running? I'm not running towards them, right? It makes no sense to me if there's a guy that literally wants to rip me to shreds for me to run towards him and say, Oh, person that wants to rip me to shreds, please, I beg you, don't rip me to shreds. Are you with me? The logical thing to do here is just to be like, bye and go. And so I'm reading Mark chapter 5 and I'm seeing the demon and the demon is there cutting himself and screaming day and night and almost it seems in the corner of his eye he catches a glimpse of Jesus and starts to sprint towards him. And when he gets to the feet of Jesus, he says, Jesus, I know who you are, son of the most high God. Please, I beg you, don't torment me. I'm thinking, okay, so, so, so why, why, the, why the sprint? Why come to the feet of the one that you know has the actual power to torment you? And so I read on. Torment me not, verse 8. And he said unto him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. This man wasn't just possessed by a single demon. This man was possessed by a legion of demons. Many Bible scholars say that in the time that these things were written, that a legion actually meant a group or a band of about 6,000 soldiers. Listen to me. 
It's not unlikely that this man who runs to the feet of Jesus is actually possessed not by a single demon, but maybe even by up to 6,000 demons. And it shouldn't really surprise us then that the man finds himself in the caves and in the mountains. It shouldn't surprise us that he's so able to just break out of the chains. It shouldn't surprise us that he cries aloud day and night, day and night. Because there's a plethora, there's a multitude of demons inside of this man. They won't let, they don't want to let him rest. They torment him time after time after time. But listen to this. When he catches a glimpse of Jesus, he runs towards him. Now you tell me, you tell me, when the man's in the tombs, and when he's cutting himself, and he's breaking free of the chains, and crying days and days, days and days and days and night, who's controlling the man? Who's controlling the man? The demons. The demons are obviously the one that are in control of the physical man. They're making him do things that he just does not want to do. But when he sees Jesus, when he sees Jesus, listen now, somehow, some way, I don't really understand it, he now has the strength to run towards Christ. Those 6,000 demons seem to be in control of this man's spirit, his body, his soul. Just a mere glimpse of Christ and now he's able to run to his feet. And we know that it's not the demon that was in control at that time because the demon wants nothing to do with Jesus. 6,000 demons could not hold back this man from coming to the feet of Jesus. But listen to me now. He sees Jesus. He runs towards Jesus. He finds himself at the feet of Jesus. The one person, the one person that can free him of these demons. And listen, the words that comes out of his mouth are not the words that he wants to say. Are you with me? If the man was in complete control, then he falls at the feet of Christ and he says, Master, free me, please. Heal me of these demons. Give me victory over these trials. I'm tired of the torments. I'm tired of this life. Please, Jesus, Messiah, please heal me. And with all the strength that he can muster from within, he runs. He runs to Jesus, but when he falls at his knees, when he falls before the one person that can help him, the words that come out of his mouth are not the words that he wants to say. The beauty of this, though, is that his prayer is still answered. Oh, listen, listen. He does not get to pray the prayer, but his prayer is still answered. Hello? He doesn't get to say the words. He doesn't get to physically say, Father, this is what I need. But the Father still hears his prayer. Have you been there? Have you ever come before God? And you know it's been a while. You know that there's something that's pressing on your heart and you just fall before him. But you don't know what to say. You don't know how to verbalize what's going through your mind. 
I mean, how do you say, Lord, I come again for the umpteenth time? I've fallen into the same sin, into the same mess. How do you keep saying it again and again and again? I don't know about you, but countless times I've come before the Lord and my prayer has just been, Lord, and he's answered that prayer. Because here's the thing. It's not about the words. It's about the fact that you've come back. It's about the fact that with everything that Satan and his minions have put you through in your life, that at that very moment you find yourself on your knees, helpless, desiring that God would speak to you. Our Father. Our Father. The text I leave you with this evening is found in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, the Bible says, Likewise, the Spirit of God also helps our infirmities. Listen now, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. We don't even know what we should be praying for in the first place. It's no wonder that sometimes we come before God and words just fail us because we literally don't even know what to ask. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but listen, we've got help. The Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. In other words, Paul himself is saying, there's some things that regardless of how much time you had, you wouldn't be able to say. You wouldn't be able to utter. You wouldn't be able to explain, but there is a Spirit of God that takes the words that can't leave your mouth, that takes the thoughts that you don't even know how to express, and He takes them and He forms them in such a way, and He takes them to the Father in heaven, and He says, listen, there's a prayer for you to hear and it may not even be the prayer that you pray look at what it says and he that searcheth the hearts knows what is in the mind of the spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God I like to think of it like this, when my, prayer, when, when my prayer leaves my mouth, when the thought is formulated and I speak it to the Lord that's not necessarily how it appears at the gates of heaven See, I come to God and I'm like, Lord, you know, I drive a Ford Focus. It's a 2006 model. It makes a horrible noise every single time I turn it on. Father, I'd like a new car. I'd like a new car. And the Spirit takes my prayer up to the kingdom of heaven and says, Father, Dean has a request. He asks that you help him to be content with his Ford Focus. Help him to, to, to see that you've blessed him. Help him to see that you're take care, taking care of his needs. And though he may want more, Lord, he really wants that you just help him to enjoy the blessings in his life. Amen. And you say to God, God, but I'm, I'm 26. I need a spouse. I'm already 26. Time is running out, right? <laughs> and the Holy Spirit goes to the Father and says, listen, Lord. They're asking that if the right person is out there, that you start to direct them your way, but that you help them to enjoy the fact, to be content with the fact that they're single and that they've got even more time to spend with you. Bless them, Lord, with their singleness. 
Our prayers don't often go to heaven the way that we've said them because the Spirit of God Himself makes intercession according to God's will. It's not about what you're saying because it might not even arrive like that. And don't misunderstand me, please. I'm not saying that you need to just fall on your knees and just think. What I found is that when I come to the Lord and in my mind I remember who it is I'm speaking to and I remember that I have a Father in Heaven that cares for me the words come. They come. And though it may feel like an eternity passes before an actual full sentence leaves my mouth the words they come. Our Father, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be His name. I want to encourage some of you this evening. I want to encourage you to let you know that heaven hears your prayers. Did you hear what I said? Heaven hears your prayer. Let me read you this. Every sincere prayer is heard in heaven. Can you say amen? amen? Every sincere prayer is heard in heaven. It's the sincerity that counts. Listen now. It may not be fluently expressed. Can anyone relate? It may not be fluently expressed, but if the heart is in it, it will ascend to heaven where Jesus ministers. And He will present it to the Father without one awkward, stammering word. Amen. Beautiful and fragrant with the incense of His own perfection. Prayer is heaven's ordained means of success in the conflict against sin. And with the development of the Christian character, listen, the divine influences that come in answer to the sincere prayer of faith will accomplish in the soul of the supplicant all which he pleads for pardon of sin. How many of you need to pray for pardon of sin? Anyone here this evening? You need to pray that God will forgive you for your sins. For the Holy Spirit, is there anyone here that needs the Holy Spirit in their life? For a Christ-like temper, hello. For wisdom and strength to do His will. For any gift that He has promised, we may ask. And the promise is you shall receive. You shall receive. Say it with me. You shall receive. We have a prayer room here. Some people whose sole purpose it is at these meetings to pray for you and to pray for me whilst this is happening. They meet upstairs every night. And I want to encourage some of you. Because some of you need to find your way back to your knees. And I don't know how long it's been. I don't know how long it's been since you've knocked on that door. I don't know what state you show up in. I don't know how many years have passed since you've actually opened up your heart and let God in. But if tonight is that night where you want to say, God, I'm here. I don't know what the prayer is. 
I don't know what words are going to eventually come out of your mouth, but if tonight you want to make the decision to come to the Lord and just say, My Father, my Father, you just want to speak to God this evening, then I encourage you to head upstairs. After we close in prayer, take some time. Yeah, sure, you can go home and do it at home. But you and I know that the devil is very active from the moment we leave this room until the moment we enter into our own quarters. If you feel the conviction of God speaking to your heart today and saying, My son, my daughter, I miss you. I miss hearing the sound of your voice. I miss the way that we used to talk, or maybe even I want to hear you, I want to hear you speak to me for the first time. I want to begin this relationship. I want to get to know you the way that a father should know their child. And I want you to get to know me. If you feel like God is saying that to you this evening, then I encourage you when restoration is done this evening, head upstairs. If you need to pray by yourself, there's space to do that. If you need to pray with someone else, there's space to do that. There's people that are there to pray with you even now. But you know who else is here? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to pray with you. The Holy Spirit, God Himself, wants to take your prayers and bring them to the throne of heaven. If it's a prayer for forgiveness, if it's a prayer of confession, if it's a prayer that, that your life would change, if it's a prayer that you, would, that you would find worth, that you would find purpose in your life, if it's a prayer that maybe, maybe today you want to give God a chance, <clears throat> head up to that prayer room, you can't miss it, and speak. Speak to your Father. Father in heaven, Lord, we have sinned against you and against heaven. And we are not worthy to be called your daughters or your sons. But Father, your Son, Jesus Christ, is forever worthy to be called our Savior. And so, Father, we thank you for his word. We thank you for his example. We thank you for his prayer life, Lord. We thank you for the way that you were in him chasing after us. That even though we had gone astray, Lord, that you chased us down. That you didn't give up. That you brought us here this evening. That your desire is to speak to us. That your desire is that we would return to you. Father, we owe you our lives. I thank you, Lord, that you haven't given up on us yet. That even though you know how many times we've walked away, you've still been so patient. You've still been so kind. You've still been so loving. Lord, we can testify that you haven't given up on us. That, Lord, even in the midst of our unfaithfulness, you've been faithful. Father, I pray especially for those here this evening that feel burdened down with guilt 
that the weight of their sin and their mistakes presses heavy on their shoulders, Lord. I pray that your spirit, I pray that your loving kindness would lead them back to you. Father, you told us that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Me, sinful Dean, Lord, can come boldly. Father, it blows my mind that you love me the same way that you love Jesus. He's never wronged you. He's never hurt you, but I have. And you still love me. You still love all of us. Father, I'm so grateful that you haven't given up on me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my unfaithfulness, Lord. It's my prayer this evening. It's my prayer that we'll get to know our Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.